0: Welcome back, parents. Do you ever find yourself in a communication standoff with your teenager when they seem to have their minds made up and nothing you say can change it? If you're ready to stop feeling like you're constantly banging your head against the wall, this episode is for you. Today, we're going to talk about how to unlock the persuasive power within us with best selling author and change navigation, navigation expert Michael McQueen. He's going to share insights into what really drives defensiveness and stubbornness in the brains of our teens and give us tips on how to balance our kids' need for autonomy with our own need for authority. Michael, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. Great to be able to spend some time chatting today.
0: Yeah, this is a great topic. And I first want to hear a little bit about you. What inspired you to focus on the art of persuasion?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. So, I've spent 20 years in the space of helping leaders and organizations essentially figure out what's coming down the line. What are the changes, the disruptions they need to be ready for? But what I've noticed over the years, particularly the last sort of six, seven, eight years, has been the constant question from clients is, okay, it's one thing for me to understand what's coming and what I need to do and how our organization needs to change. But unless unless I can bring people on the journey of change willingly, unless I can shift their perspective so they fully embrace something new and a new approach, then the best strategy makes no difference in the world. And so what I've noticed over the years is a lot of the clients I was working with, they were using All the tactics you're meant to use to change either their boss's mind or their exec team's mind, or maybe their own team's mind, but it wasn't working. And so essentially this book was an attempt to answer that question of like, why don't people change even when they want to and know they should? And of course, that's a theme that doesn't just work in the professional environment, but- it's in our marriages and relationships it's with our kids. It's just, you know, in every area of life, we're encountering people who are often very stubborn and rigid <laughs> and you know, it can be tricky to figure out how to, to shift that.
0: Yeah. And teens are known for being stubborn, right? And uh-huh. I think this is one thing that parents get very frustrated with. They're like, why won't they listen to me? Their lives will be so much easier. Why are teens so stubborn,
1: Well, I mean, there's a whole lot of reasons for this. If you look at what defensiveness is and what drives that, particularly in that sort of teenage stage, is you've got those those three stages of development for young people. So we go from dependence to independence, where I've got to find my own identity, my own sense of self, and then I move into, hopefully, interdependence once you get through those late teens, early 20s years. And that's the goal, whether your young person wants to engage with you, wants to have a relationship, wants to get advice and wisdom from you. But to get to interdependence, that that's the, that's the dream stage, ideally. We actually have that relationship with your kids You've got to get through the independent stage without ruining the relationship. And that's the trickiest one to, to navigate because you're still the parent. You're still obviously having to you know, give guidance and set boundaries, but it's how you do that that counts. And often when we see young people really dig their heels in and fight against you know, what we're suggesting or encouraging, partly that's just the natural life stage of that. Part of that's about the way we approach the discussion, what our posture, our attitude, our mindset is. So some of it's on us and some of it's on them because of that natural stage they're going through.
0: So it's not that they disagree with us as much as it's more important for them to have their own opinion and be right. We've got to address that. So what is the biggest mistake or mistakes that parents make when they're trying to influence or convince their teenagers?
1: I think the first thing that we, we don't, generally do well as parents and as a father of an eight-year-old. So, I mean, my little one is not quite at the teenage stage yet, but we even see some of that defiance oh, yeah. start to kick in even at this age. I mean, this starts pretty young. Is that You've got to check yourself and look at how how open and curious are you actually being in your approach to engaging with them? And sometimes we go into conversations, we might even ask a question, but we don't really want to listen to the answer. You know, like we, it, it's a tactic, it's a ploy. And so, like, do we really go in with that genuine a posture of curiosity. And when we're trying to get our message through, how do we ask questions in a way that makes the other person feel like we are interested in their perspective? And from yeah. our kid's standpoint, that's critical. And sometimes that can be as simple as, you know, you asking a question um, and then you know, being very mindful that they may give you an answer that changes your own view and being humble enough to admit that actually it's a good that's a good point. I hadn't considered that before. That's very powerful. And for a lot of parents, that's the the greatest fear in the world of like, you know, what if I go into the conversation and my kid gets one up on me? And that's okay, because if we're wanting them to be young people who grow into adults who are able to question and challenge in a healthy way, that's got to start at home. So how do we ask questions and be really open to the you know, open to the answer? But also even the phrase and way, or the way we ask questions matters. You know, instead of starting questions with words like what, or with questions like why, I'm sorry, start with what or how. Because if you start a question with why, which is like, why did you do that? It's now a battle. It's like defensive yeah. time. Um, you've backed them into a corner. Whereas if you start with words like what or how, the, the question changes. It's like, what, what made you do that? I'm keen to understand what's going on for you right now. Um, and, you know, just giving giving them the chance to speak out loud and giving them the freedom and the agency to do that is, is vital.
0: So one thing that's really interesting that I kind of just went like aha about is When we're persuading, it's almost that we're not about persuading. We're not about trying to get our point of view across because I think that's what it sounds like the biggest mistake is, is when you go into the dynamic with the only goal of convincing them that you are right, Mm. you're not going to win because the more you try to convince them you're right, the more they're going to try to convince you They're right, and now you've created a wall. So, when you're more interested in going, let me understand your perspective. So, I know that I've included that in my thought. And now I know when I repeat back what I'm thinking, I've taken that into consideration. They're more open to hearing it. So, it's more about understanding them than getting them to understand us.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's incredibly powerful. And I think we've got to be mindful that how often as parents we set up, what well, is essentially a battle, a competition, a battle of the wills, really. Now, I saw this meme recently on Instagram and I thought it was so spot on. And the meme was something like, whenever my kid says, I love you, I always reply and say, I love you more because it's important. They know that life's a competition and that their mum will always win. And <laughs> yeah, great. We so often do this. We and do. of course, all that does is set up that battle of the wills because if you won this time, they want to win next time. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, as human beings who have a deep love for each other. How do you actually want to, You want to see the best in that person. How do you make sure they know that that's the case? It's not about you winning. It's not about you having victory. It's about you hopefully getting them to a point where they're, they're living their, their best lives. They are living lives that are purposeful and mature and healthy and constructive. And that's your goal. And there's got, got to be a point where sometimes you need to stop and think, is it possible that my expectations are just my expectations and maybe a little bit uncoupled from that goal? Because sometimes we approach our kids with rules and expectations that might even be so deeply unconscious because they're the way we were raised. Yes. And then you step back and go, was that actually necessary? Like, is, is that something that, is Is this a battle I really need to fight? And sometimes that's the most important question we've got to ask ourselves before we want to enforce our view is, you know, does, does our will or our view in this matter actually really matter? How do we, you know, how do we genuinely pick our battles?
0: Yeah. The why is really big. And if we, I think when kids ask why and your only response is because I said so, I tell parents that's a good sign that you may want to rethink it. (laughs) Because if that's (laughs) That's all you can come up to, come up with, may not be a good reason. So I I love that. And then I think the other thing that kind of hit me too when you were talking about this is that we, when our kids are little, and they do something well and they win, we're like, yay. And when they become teenagers, it does, it becomes a competition. And rather Mm. than being proud of them for being able to like voice themselves and speak up for themselves and actually win an argument, we're like, you can't win an argument anymore. Like, then that means we lose. And so going, oh my gosh, that was so good. You're like learning to speak for yourself and that actually is really good information. And when you change it to that, it's no longer ego. It's more about teaching. And that's, yeah. I think when they become teens, that's a dynamic that shifts a lot, which creates a lot of the conflict, like you were saying.
1: Yeah. So, and one of the best ways we can get what we can get out of our young people, if we want to get the best out of them, two things we can offer them, trust and grace. Like trust them to make a good choice. And that, that, that speaks to their best nature, their best selves. And when they're given trust and you say, look, I'm trusting you in this, Bear in mind there'll be times when they'll stuff up and they'll do things that you are disappointed with, that they're disappointed in themselves in. And that's where grace comes in. Cause if you give them trust, this is about preserving the relationship. Because I mean, what what there's no point making your point if the relationship loses as a result of you, you know, pr- trying to win the argument. And so you bear in mind that there'll be times where you trust them, they fall flat. How do you give them the grace to come back and go, you know what? I'm sorry, that was that I, I stuffed that up. Because the problem is, if there's this sense of dignity that's so deeply ingrained in us as humans, if there's a sense that the moment we change our minds or suddenly see the light, you know, suddenly I'm like, you know what, Mum, you were spot on. Like, I stuffed up. I wish I'd listened. Even if if there's even the faintest hint of like yeah, see, I could have told you that like the, the shame, the embarrassment that comes in, as opposed to giving grace to go, you know what? Yep, that's cool. That's just a part of living. I did the same stuff when I was your age. It's cool. Like that's. I think that sort of that sort of mindset is again, it ties back into this comp- competitive nature we often see, and it's just so it's so counterproductive. I remember hearing this great quote from Andy Stanley a little while back. He said, in any relationship, when one party wins the relationship always loses. And I reckon that is so fundamentally true.
0: Yeah. I think I'm hearing some of my clients in my head, I always do that, who are like, okay, so that means we just let them get away and do whatever and always win. And we just never get our way. And that's not okay with me. So what do you Mm -hmm. say to the parents who are like, I am saying something because I know it has to be done, or this is the thing and they're still resisting me. And we have to persuade them because yep. it is for in their best interest that we persuade them. How do we do that?
1: Yeah, and this is this is not a license for just saying let them do whatever they I like. I mean, because that's that's never going to work well. And in fact, that's when young people lose respect for their parents, and you see that play at the parent. That wants to be cool. You know, you all you all know that parent in our in our kids' friendship circles that they like. They're so permissive because they want to be liked by their kids. And there's something about that very posture of being desperate to be cool and popular, which actually kids don't respect. There's something about the parent that you know. If you're doing it in a reasonable way and in a loving way, putting in place a boundary that shows you love them, that you, that you care for them, and so that's actually this is not a no holds bar. Just go and figure it out yourself. One of the key things is when it comes to persuasion is agency that sense of autonomy, that young people and that anyone feels like they are in control, or at least to some degree in the driver's seat. And Sheena Iyengar, who's a researcher at Columbia University, says that our brains equate choice with control. So the moment that we don't feel like we have any sense of agency or choice, our our instinct is to dig our heels in, even if we know that what's being asked of us is reasonable and would be a good thing. And so you think about how this plays out with our kids. You, You give them two or three choices, but they make the choice. You guide their choices as to, as to what the options are, or perhaps you say to them, okay, what, what time are you going to be home tonight? You know, give, give me a time. And the beauty is once they've actually chosen that time and you've said, okay, that works for me, that's cool, they're far more likely to stick with it if they are the ones that have come up with the idea themselves as opposed to it saying, I want you home by 10 p.m. And so giving them that sense of choice and sometimes, you know, just giving them an out can be such a helpful thing. You're giving them the chance to essentially um, choose the option that works best for them and then they're far more likely to stick with it.
0: Yeah. I think there's so much fear that parents have that their kids are going to choose poorly and make Mm -hmm. poor decisions. And then if they make poor decisions on our watch, then we're not going to forgive ourselves for allowing them to make poor decisions.
1: So I think that's when
0: we stick in our, get our heels dug in and say, I am not going to allow that because I already know it's going to be bad, which do we? So How do we, right? So how do we get past this fear that really is what's pushing us to control so that we're allowed to give our kids the agency that they need to learn how to develop, even though they may not do it well?
1: Yeah. Well, the first thing is to realize, I mean, just go back and look at your own life and how many of the decisions you made that were actually poor decisions and didn't go, well, probably decisions your parents were hoping you wouldn't make actually became key moments in your development because that's how we learn. Like we learn as human beings by sometimes making poor decisions, by falling down, having to pick ourselves back up. And in those moments, that's actually, just because it wasn't the ideal step, it wasn't the, the fastest journey from A to B you know we took a few details that was actually a useful experience so realizing that actually sometimes what can feel in the short term like a stuff up or a mistake becomes a learning opportunity that again if we if we allow our kids and give them the grace to pick themselves back up come back to talk about it with us openly and not feel ashamed or embarrassed that can be a healthy thing also just think back on our own lives how many of the decisions we've made um, no one knows about because we, they weren't on Instagram when we were 16. You know, like there's that sense that everything is so known now that kids are doing. And sometimes we, we, we set a bar that's very high for our kids because we expect them to, you know, almost their behavior is a reflection on us. Our ego gets wrapped up in it as parents. And you know, that's that's never a helpful dynamic. You know, we've all stuffed up. We've all made mistakes that, that really in some cases cost us. And the important thing we had is that there were adults around us, not just our parents, but adults around us who were, who were trustworthy, safe people who were willing to to help pick us up and help guide in a, in a way that still gave us choice and agency in the process.
0: Yeah. So we, we need to be able to give them that space so that it's not mm. constant, right? Constant battle, constant, I need to win. Now, I'm going to give you a situation and I want you to help us through it because I hear yeah. this one a lot. Our kid has been on his video game for way too long. We know his homework's due, and we are sure, even though he says he's got it taken care of, he's not getting it done and time is ticking. And we're trying to convince him or tell him to put down the put down his game and get to his homework, and he's having a fit. And it's not yeah. he's pushing back. Please help yeah. us in that situation. <laughs> what do we do?
1: Well, The first thing is to be really clear on what what the outcome is. So, So is your goal for them to put down the video game and not play it again for the next week? That's an unlikely goal. And so how do we set a goal that's reasonable? Maybe it's a case that we want him to put his video games down or put it away for the next two hours. And then, and do some homework, then come back to it. Like this is not a case of like, if, if there's enough, it's often a level of addiction and we've got to realize for our young people, video game playing, isn't just the game. It's their community. It's a sense of belonging, their identity. That's where they spend time with all of their friends. So it is more than just the game. It's it's so much that comes around that with identity formation. So it's a case of, okay, how do we realize that we we've both got goals here? Your goal is you want them to do their homework. Um, ideally enough homework time that they get the stuff done required their goal is that they want to still be connected to their mates and have fun. So, what are the boundaries you can set in place? So you give it to them as a choice. You say, okay, so we've got to get both these things done. Hey, I get it. You don't want to do your homework and be honest with them. Go, I understand that you're not interested in this. I wasn't either at the same age. Just be super honest with them, but we've got to figure this out together. Like, how do you beca- how did this become a not you versus them, but you work on this together? We've got to figure this out. We've got to play the game. This is the way school works. So how do we do this together? What are you willing to do? How much are you willing to engage with this? How, how, what, what what agree to what amount of time you'll get off your game and to do your work and then you can go back to it. And so it's not this sense of it's all or nothing, it's a negotiation. And get them to choose the amount of time, give them that sense of agency or choice, and then you hold them to it, but they're far more likely to be willing if they've had a, a say in the process. And I mean this is tricky because you've got all other dynamics that go into this. If you've got a kid who you know is socially awkward in real life, Online gaming is sometimes our only sense of social connection. So it is—it's like oxygen for them. And so that kid, you'll need to tread more carefully than someone who just likes playing video games because they hate school and they just rather play games because they're fun. So like, there's different dynamics that play into this. But getting together around this, being super honest with them, and then letting them just let, letting them be a part of the process of setting the boundaries is the is the best best path forward.
0: Yeah. So it's going back to what you said earlier about being curious. Rather than Mm. making that assumption that they're just being lazy or they're trying to push it up, it's kind of like, let's be curious on what they're getting from the game. Let's empathize with the fact that, of course, they'd rather play their game than do homework. I mean, Mm -hmm. let's be real. Any one of us would want to. And I don't even like playing video games, and I'd rather do it than some of the homework they've got, right? So When we empathize and go, we get it totally understand let's but we we got to figure this out and we're t- we're sitting beside them rather than against them right and yep. figuring this out that they're going to be more open to it and they're part of the solution so yeah. we're not so i feel like in that bit it's almost the persuasion is not persuading them you're right and they're wrong it's persuading them it's it's not even persuasion anymore it's going how do we problem solve this Mm. Together, do you feel like that's yeah. more rather than persuasion? We almost need to go to problem solving,
1: to an extent. And it's 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 like it goes back to that that phrase. Remember Dale Carnegie's book, How to Influence and Influence mm-hmm. People. There's such truth in that book. And I remember he said, you know, a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. And so, if young people do what we ask just because we've enforced it, or we've asked them to do it, or we've coerced them their mind hasn't changed at all. There's not that sense of, I've actually had any choice in this process. So giving them a sense of agency means they're far more likely to be convinced this is something that needs to be done, that they're, they're up for it because they realize it's important and they need to do it. The great thing about habit formation too is that even if, if you start small, like it might just be, you know, today, 20 minutes of homework, that's all. But over time, there becomes that sense of, I, I do it, I get a sense that this, I, I can do it. There's a sense of this becomes part of my rhythm. I, and even it becomes a part of my identity. I'm, some, I'm someone who does homework. Um, it, it it's even though it may never be fun. it's something that is it just becomes familiar to them. There's a momentum that builds on that. So start small and give them that sense that it's actually something that they can do and there's value in doing. They'll see the results. they'll see their grades getting higher. They'll see that actually it's worthwhile, even though it's maybe never fun, but start often with something small.
0: yeah, i I like when you said how you know just because they do it doesn't mean you agree with them, because I see that mm. a lot too, where the parents will say, well, we agreed to this, they agreed to that. And I said, did they really agree to that or were they just trying to get you to stop bugging them? My guess is they (laughs) were just trying to get you to stop bugging them and really didn't agree. And so they're not developing what our whole goal of this is to help them develop that motivation and that perseverance and that desire. And if we're just making them do it, it's almost And the antithesis of that, we're making them hate doing the very thing we're trying to encourage them to do. So it's like anti persuasion, whatever that's called. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I think that's basically coercion. Oh, coercion. And you see that play. Yeah. I mean, exhausting someone through argument is not the same thing as convincing yeah. them. And yet you so often see that happen. People are just going to keep at you until you go, I'm just going to play the game and tell you, tell you what you want to hear. Even though I'm not agreed at all, my mind has not changed. I couldn't be bothered engaging in the issue anymore. And so you see how young yeah. people do that all the time.
0: Oh yeah, completely. And I've even had kids tell me flat out, it used to motivate me to have to make my parents happy, so I would just do it. It doesn't motivate me anymore, so now I have no motivation yeah. to do it. I'm like, yeah, that's a problem if that's what they've learned, because now yeah. we've removed that and it's it. We haven't developed it. Um, yeah. I hear a lot of parents too, and I get this. We're busy. We're tired. We don't have enough time. We've got to go do our own thing. I don't have time to argue. And mm. what you're saying sounds like that's going to take even more time cuz instead of just telling them what to do and walking away and having them do it, I'm now having to problem solve with them and listen to them and empathize with. I don't have time to do that. Yeah. What do you tell yep. what do you have to say to parents that cuz I know there's many um, people that are like this is a lot.
1: Yeah, well so- compliance works in the short term. Like even that sense of just do it because I've said so. Sometimes they'll do it, and you know, you scream, you shout, they do it. And you think, yeah, at least it's done. It was fast, it was efficient. But typically, it's short, short, yeah, short um, investment in the, in the short term doesn't take much to make that happen. You quick shout, they get to work. You think okay, that's done. But in the longer term, it's harder to maintain that. So this does take longer. I mean, to build a relationship and have them involved. You're like, mate, I just I'm not that interested. I just, we've just got to get on with the day. And so, in that instance, I think one of the most important things is just be super honest with your kids and be be vulnerable and say to them, you know what, well, I like I'm so tired. I don't have the energy for this, but I I want I want let's have this conversation, even though I really don't have the energy to do so. And just being being humble and open and, and vulnerable with your kids. Yeah, you know, how can we do this together? I really need your help here. Like it, it brings out the best in them, and so yeah, the fact that you'll have you have bad days, you have bad days, you days where you lose your temper with your kids. You know, the best thing you can do in that moment, apologize. Just be honest and go, you know what? Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm flat out at work, and I'm just I'm just I'm done at the moment. I'm so tired, and that's not that's not your fault. And the great thing is, you know what happens in that moment? So often, the kid then goes, yeah, I'm sorry. Hey, like I wasn't particularly reasonable in my response either. Like, just open, starting with a posture where we're just open and honest with their young people. Does so much, but the best thing it does is it models what we want to see from them, which is to be open and honest. And so, you know, even if if there's a part of what's happened in a situation or a dynamic that's gotten tense that you own, like even if it's just 1%, that you know, you did something, you said something you probably shouldn't have, just acknowledge it, just be open with them, be vulnerable, and it can make the biggest difference.
0: Uh, it's interesting because I think a lot of people equate authority with strength, with being Mm. right, with not backing down. And I've seen over and over again, and what you're saying aligns with that is it's absolutely the opposite, that when you're vulnerable and you admit that you were wrong and you kind of show that compassion, that creates the authority and respect. And that becomes naturally real authority and real respect, not force coercion and fear, which I think yeah. people mistake that as authority and respect.
1: Yeah, because we, we often equate strength with toughness mm-hmm. and they're not the same thing at all. And sometimes the strongest people you know and that I know are people who are really humble and really open and really vulnerable, that sense of self, self-deprecation. self to, to be vulnerable is a real strength and it requires strength. And it requires someone who knows who they are and what they're about. And it's interesting, if you look at that from a persuasion standpoint, this goes back to, Now, something that Aristotle spoke about 2,400 years ago, this idea that one of the key elements of persuading another individual is a thing called ethos. And ethos is argument by character. It's about building trust with the person you're looking to engage with or influence. And so how do you build trust? One of the key ingredients to trust is vulnerability and openness and transparency. And there's been some really great research looking at how effective this can be in just disarming the other party. So disarming our kids, you know, from wanting to engage in a battle. In fact, one of the best examples of some research looking at this, a social psychologist named Kip Williams did some research looking at a series of court cases over a number of years and the key moment when a jury changed their opinion to favour one side's argument over the other. And typically, the moment this occurred was because one attorney went to the jury and was really upfront about information or evidence that might even work against their own case. And the key was he had to bring that up before the opposing side had the chance to. And the power was by you showing that you were fair-minded and open and vulnerable, self-disclosure, self-deprecation, these things disarm the other party. And so for you just being honest with your kids, and sometimes that can even mean just yeah, saying, you know, what, right now you probably think I'm a real jerk and that's okay. Call out their feeling, call out the emotion that's happening for them right now and just be super open and honest about it. And again, it disarms them. If they're thinking it, you may as well talk about it, bring it out in the open and that somewhat diffuses the situation.
0: Yeah. I I think That makes you and humanizes you and kind of makes it more of an equal ground, which I think parents are like, it's not equal, but it is in terms of we're human, right? This equality. One thing that I want to kind of warn people against, and I want your thoughts on this too, is Mm. when it turns into manipulation. So when does that persuasion and using that ethos and ethos and using that ability to empathize become a I'm trying to get them to feel sorry for me or I'm trying to get them to feel guilty how does how does that play into this
1: oh, that's a great point so like what what's the ultimate outcome here is it for you to get something from this or for the situation to move forward and if the if your goal is for for you to feel loved Cared for, supported, if it's you focused, that, the danger zone. Because we've got to go into any situation as the parent, in, in the one who's looking to serve, the one that's looking to lead, the one that's looking to help the other party. And so, by being vulnerable, it's about you know, creating a situation where, where, the, where, where your relationship moves forward, where you have open communication. That's the goal. The goal is not for your kid to pity you or feel sorry for you or try and serve your needs as a parent. That's that's the wrong way around. And so you know, as a parent, the moment you go into any engagement where you're looking to get something from your child, and you see this in so many different ways, parents who want their kids to succeed at school or in sport because somehow that fulfills their need as a parent for their own self-validation. It's like that never works out well because that's not the goal of having a child. A child is not there to, to fill something you're lacking. And if it is, find how to, how to fill that thing you're lacking. Speak to someone who can help you get around that without trying to get it from your child because it's, it's it places an unhelpful weight on the child and it's a responsibility that should never be a child's to fill. So what's the goal I think is the key question we've got to ask.
0: I love that. And it's not about, your child's not there to fulfill your needs, if that, yep. right, at all. And, and so when we do that, we actually take away their ability to be their own human being when we're trying Correct. to make them fill us as a human being. And that yep. that's just very unfair. And I do see yeah. that not, it's rarely intentional, if ever intentional. Yeah. But I think people do that without realizing, and I think that's something to be very, very aware of. Um, If you're trying to create guilt, why? What is, because we've talked about a lot of stuff and this stuff is so amazing. This is great, Michael. Um, What is one thing that you want parents to take away from our time together right now?
1: I think the first thing would be that you you control so much of your young person's response just by the way you enter the engagement. I think that would be the, the simple encouragement I would give is that when you have those situations where it's tense and it's awkward and they're shouting in this and things aren't going well, it's not all on you. I mean some of it's about the young person you're engaging with and the hormones and the life stage and stuff that's going on for them with their friends at school. It's got nothing to do with you, but don't add to it. Don't inflame the situation. How in any in any in any context, how do you de-escalate? How do you take some of that, that heat out? And how do you make sure that they know that they are supported and cared for regardless of what happens here, that there's trust and there's grace? And then I would simply say to them, in terms of something very practical for parents to try is when you get to those situations that are tense and difficult, try and get in sync with your kid. Try and do something with them. Something that something happens when we're physically working Side by side, and it might be as simple as washing the dishes side by side, just doing something side by side with someone. If you look at what happens in brain scans, when you're synchronizing your activities with another human being, your brains actually form a sense of connection. It's like a mind meld. Mm-hmm. And so they'll be far more open to, to you. There's a sense of trust and warmth and affinity. And in fact, you look at some of the work from Dr. Paul Zak, who's done some great stuff around oxytocin release. And oxytocin is that, that social bonding hormone. If you look at where that's one of the most key foundations for influence is when there's that sense of trust and it's so so deeply unconscious. And one of the things that Paul suggests is if you've got a high stakes conversation to, to have, go for a walk. Just go for a walk with the person you want to have the conversation with because when you're working side by side, you will eventually naturally get in step. You start to match their cadence. When that happens neurobiologically, your brain starts to connect with that other person and it's far more easy to have those difficult conversations. So that'd be hopefully something just simple and tactical that parents could try.
0: That's great. So the one thing that they can do right after they listen to this today is find something to do side by side with their teen And I'm going to just throw in there, the walk is great, but if your teen doesn't want to go and you're trying to persuade them to go by making them feel bad, we're kind of countering exactly (laughs) what we have talked about. So find something your teen wants to do. And it may just be sitting there quietly right now because they're not ready yet. It takes time to create that level of trust. So we got to go really, really slow in that. And the best time to start is today, because you're going to get there faster if you start today. Correct. Love this so much. Michael, how can people find you? Our
1: best place to follow me would be on michaelmcqueen.net. That's my website. And there's a website for this book, which is mindstuck.net. And there's all the details on the book and how to get a hold of it on there as well.
0: Michael, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: My pleasure. Lovely to speak.
0: Absolutely. And thank you, parents, for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us. You know, I appreciate you. If you found this episode enlightening, which I know I did, take a quick second to click the follow button, then forward it to a friend. And if you want more information on how to best support your teens, you can download my 10 top tips for raising teens at ask.comslash parenting tips. Until next time, stay curious. Remember, there's always more to the story than what you see.